content warning. This podcast contains coarse language and cheeky themes. So if you've got kids in the car, colleagues in the office, or a nonna in the kitchen, chuck some headphones in. Who the bloody hell are we? Conversations about immigration and culture in Australia with your hosts, Mel and Sonia. Hello, listeners. Thanks for joining us. My name is Sonia Diorio, and joining me once again is my co-host, Melissa Viola. Hi. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Excited for another podcast? As always. Yeah. How are you going um, uh, just in this weird world? It is a weird world, uh, you know, lots of laughs, many tears. You saw your parents for the first time oh, the other beautiful. day? Oh, it was beautiful. Lots of elbows. Oh, um, really? You know, they do that, you know, instead of shaking hands, you do elbow to elbow. It's like yeah. the, cute, the cute hospo, hi, how you doing? And my dad kind of lingered with his elbow, like we made, we like touched elbows and then it was it was held and I was like, oh, that was a hug. Aww. You know, well, like it was nice. It was yeah, cute. I mean, Italians are notorious double kisses. Oh, so yeah. I'm wondering if um, my parents are going to go for the double elbow. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cute. No, I thought it was very sweet that, yeah, he kind of like lingered being like, oh, if only. But, yeah, no, it was really nice. It well, it sounds great. like you're getting through it. Yeah, surviving. You're surviving? Yes, I am. I'm very excited for today's guest. Yes, as am I. Today we have Tabani Chuma, a spoken word performer who last year won Slamma Lama Ding Dong, the Melbourne Spoken Word Prize, and represented Melbourne in San Diego at the Individual World Poetry Slam. And on top of everything, he just finished a journalism degree and an internship at the Lifted Brow. Like, woof. Woof. Do you feel bad about yourself? Because I feel bad about myself. <laughs> yes, Welcome I do. Welcome to <laughs> Thanks for having Hi, me. Hi, <laughs> thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Um, now, I know you because um, we are dating each other, so <laughs> thanks also for doing that. It's I a really, <laughs> we're all grateful. <laughs> I really appreciate you <laughs> joining on the podcast and going out with me. So um, two ticks there. Um, so you are um, originally from Zimbabwe. Um, how long ago did you move to Australia? Um, five years now. Five years ago. Yeah. And have you always lived in Melbourne? Yeah. What was your decision to come here? I guess I, I think overall I was looking for change. Um, what drew me most to Melbourne was kind of having family here because I have an aunt and uncle that live here. Yeah. So... I'd visited before, but it never been like on my list of countries to live in. Mm -hmm. Right. But I did want to be somewhere where there was family and I'm pretty close to my uncle who lives here. So it kind of wrote itself. I was like, I knew nothing about Melbourne. Really? Yeah. But you'd visited um, before or was that as a child? Yeah. I was yeah. maybe 10 or 11. What Is did that you think about it? Um, I just remember Movie World. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, all, that's, that's, that's all I can that, remember. Did you think Movie World was in Melbourne and then you got here and you're like, oh, I remembered it wrong. <laughs> I thought, you know, I thought my my image of Australia was kind yeah. of just like beach yeah. and surf. And yep. like, I was like, everyone's just going to be wearing swimwear all the time and surfing all the time. <laughs> And it's just going to be sunny. So that's the it's best place to live. Yeah. I think a lot of people come here and it's like, it's going to be home and away. Yeah. yeah. And then you experience your first and Melbourne then, winter. Because like, I got here in June, July. Yeah. Oh, God. And I had no, I packed no winter oh clothes at all. 
um, a touch shorts and like <laughs> singlets. And I had to go and do like an entire winter wardrobe shop because yeah, I, literally, yeah, yeah. I had like one cardigan. It was like light summer, like a summer, a summer sweater. Um, and had to do an entire winter shop just to get through that Melbourne mm. winter. So did That's you move wild. straight from Zimbabwe to Melbourne? No, I moved from Zimbabwe to America to South Africa wow. and then to Melbourne. Crazy. So from South Africa to Melbourne. Yeah. Well, sure. South Africa back to Zimbabwe for like yeah. a couple months and then. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of that's a lot of travel and a lot of different cultures to be experiencing in like your formative years. And you're, <laughs> how old are you? 27. Yeah. Like early 20s is, is a big, it's a young age to be moving overseas by yourself. Were you by yourself in the States as well? I had a cousin there with mm-hmm. me at the same school I was at. Yeah. Where, where were you in the States? Massachusetts. Ooh, okay. Worcester. <laughs> the woo. Wow. What? I don't know what that means. Is that, <laughs> is that Western Massachusetts? Called, oh. Um, I'm not sure. Oh. It's like 40 minutes from Boston. Oh, okay, cool. Okay. So it's like Eastern. Okay. Crazy. Uh, how did your f- parents feel when you first left home to go overseas? I guess in two minds. Because mm-hmm. um, the reason I left was kind of to pursue opportunity. And the the education system in Zimbabwe isn't as good as it is abroad. Mm-hmm. So I left for study. Um, so in that regard, my parents were happy because it's like better opportunities better schools, better a better education equals a better life. Um, but at the same time, they're like, oh, my baby. <laughs> yeah, are you, <laughs> are you an only leaving. child? I know, I have an older sister, okay. but I'm the youngest, so yeah. I'm still the, the baby. baby. Oh, definitely. And is yeah. she still in Zimbabwe? She's here in Melbourne. Well, yeah, no wonder. <laughs> my parents would flip shit, so <laughs> that's fair. That's definitely fair. So obviously she moved here after you did. Yeah, she and, kind of yeah. followed me throughout right. the globe, like... She she did her undergrad in Switzerland um, while I was in America. And then after that, she came to America. And then I left America, came to Australia. She left America, came to Australia. So she's kind of just been wow. following me And how did your world. parents feel when you both, you know, having you both over here? They were happier. Yeah, it's like yeah, because you had, we had each a other. close, yeah. yeah, close family. And so only yeah, one place to sense. go and visit, you know. Yeah. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Easier. <laughs> Have they visited you much here? Yeah, they try to come at least once a year mm-hmm. or we'll go home. What were your first impressions when you moved to Melbourne? Besides definitely. it being freezing. Yeah, that's stereotypical. Oh, Melbourne <laughs> weather, <laughs> four seasons in a day. Um, I think it was, I was looking for a sense of, community mm-hmm. which was difficult to find and I think in a sense I'm still looking for that um the thing about like jumping from country to country is I feel like it it connects you to your roots more and I don't know that's a trend that I've noticed in a lot of people that have kind of left their home countries is that when they're away they're kind of drawn back to their culture of origin and like their roots more yeah. than usual. And I don't know, it's it's interesting because I feel like the the way that the nature of my education was like 
it led me to want a distance from like culture and distance from tradition. Um, from your school education? Yeah. Oh, in Zimbabwe? In Zimbabwe. Why is that? Yeah. I guess there were white schools. Right. Pretty much. So the local culture was kind of secondary. Right. Do we have all night? Yeah, we do. Um, <laughs> That's, yeah. Yeah, essentially Zimbabwe was a British colony. Mm-hmm. So the the best schools or most reputable schools, it's hard to say best because best in terms of the ones tied to kind of international boards of accreditation um, were white schools. And mm-hmm. I say white like very loosely. What does that I mean, mean? I mean it in the sense of, they still they're more rooted in the British structure, right? And more rooted in Western values and Western kind of ideologies than they are in traditional Zimbabwean upbringing. So, like I, for me, that that had like a a lot of internal separation because, on the one hand, I didn't fully belong in these schools but at the same time having that kind of education creates a separation from the culture and a separation from tradition mm-hmm. um so you grow up pretty separate mm. um and it's it's difficult to reconcile and i think even today like i'm still working through it and working through like making sense of it because I think a lot of people are conditioned to kind of look for someone to blame and look for like a direction to justify, oh, why did this play out the way that it did? But in essence, like nobody's to blame. It's like that's that was just the the structure of the country and the nature of life. It's like I... My parents sent me to these schools because they wanted me to have a good education. Mm -hmm. And it's through that education that I'm able to be here in Australia. So on the one hand, you know, everything, the plan went according to plan. Yeah. But on the other hand, it still just did create that divide, that cultural Feeling divide. Feeling like there's and that, that bit of the culture that's missing. Mm. So oh. to clarify, the schooling that you went to was prestigious? Yeah. Okay. Mm. And because it was prestigious, or well, not because, it was, it happened to be structured in a very British way. Yeah. Um, does that necessarily mean when you say it was like a white school, does that necessarily mean that there were white kids at that school? Or is just just like the structure of it being a Western kind of education? Um, a little bit of both, because okay. I guess for for primary school, which was like grade one to seven, I think there were maybe three black kids in the school. Really? Wow. Um, but then around grade six, um, the I'm not sure exactly what happened, but <laughs> they <laughs> they started letting in more black kids. I think like. A cultural shift, a political shift. I don't know. I don't know what changed essentially, but um, from grade six, there was more of a balance. And okay. even like 
to a degree, a majority of black people now at the schools. It was just like a sudden complete shift. So high school was like 60, 40, more or less. And did you, had you always thought about um, moving away from Zimbabwe once you finished school or did it, was it more of a sudden kind of decision? It had always been in play. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's, it came more into your mindset towards the later years where even the school is like facilitating you to make applications to universities outside of Zimbabwe. Yeah. Um, And I think the culture is like, if you can afford to do it, um, you should. But yeah, it's always been the way. Right. Um, so you lived in the US, obviously, before here. What's the difference you feel in terms of um, the two countries in terms of being, you know, a foreigner in these countries or being made to feel like a foreigner or feeling like one Mm. um, between Australia and the US? Um, Or at least Melbourne and... Melbourne. um, I think the the thing that comes to mind like first is the idea of blackness mm-hmm. and being black. Um cuz when I was in America I cuz I'm I'm African, I'm Zimbabwean. Mm-hmm. Um which in America means I'm African and I'm not African American, which so African American is black. Um, and I, I think the, the perfect illustration was at the school, there was a, a black students union and an African students union. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, not knowing that there was this like great distinction, I thought, you know, cause in, in the Zimbabwean context, like if you're black, you're black. <laughs> like yeah. Everyone, if an, if an African American comes they're like, you're still black. Yeah. Um, but in America there was that distinction and i i joined the black students union not knowing that there was an african students union yeah um and i went there and i wouldn't i wouldn't say it was like i wasn't met with like malice or exclusion it was kind of just like a oh are you in the right place right um, wow and because by by the time i joined it's like i knew the people on campus and they knew that like i'm from zimbabwe mm. so like yeah this isn't really your space in essence. And I think that was an important learning moment for me to understand like the distinction between African culture and African-American culture and to see African-American culture as its own struggle with its own history, its own culture, its own value system and to like see it completely independently of like my Zimbabwean experience. And I guess coming here, there is less, there's obviously less of that because there's less um, black people. Black people. <laughs> 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 like in America, you know where you stand with someone. Right. It's like if there is discrimination, then nobody's trying to hide it. The directness comes with a level of honesty. Mm. It's like no matter how, even if that truth is uncomfortable, 
it's in the open. Yeah. Um, but here I find there's a lot of kind of hiding behind political correctness and not mm. wanting to offend someone, which like it it works counterintuitively because mm. then it becomes more offensive that yeah. you would like rather than acknowledging like to un- to not acknowledge the difference that you're a black man yeah yeah is to dismiss the culture it's to dismiss the yeah. heritage and it's to dismiss the fact rather than if you were to just admit the reality yeah of the situation <laughs> but we can't even admit our own history like we have so many <laughs> exactly. issues yeah. with our own people <laughs> so you're saying that you feel like you're missing a community Mm -hmm. um have you looked into any kind of like zimbabwean social clubs or like meets because i mean that's something that we've spoken about our nonni joining social clubs and how there's an insane amount of italian social clubs in melbourne i mean obviously they were started up in the 60s and the 50s but have you found anything like that since being here not particularly and not because they're not there but i guess it also goes back to how like I was talking about with my childhood, like I'm, I'm not the stereotypical Zimbabwean. Mm-hmm. It's like that. My, my upbringing was such that it's like trying to fit into that community is as difficult as trying to fit into the Australian community. Mm-hmm. It's like not belonging in either world. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Um, and I guess joining a Zimbabwean community would be easier because, you know, there's the language links and there's the cultural links that I know and grew up around. But I think there was, there's a distinct like difference. And I think, and largely it goes back to like socioeconomics um, because I come from a, fairly privileged background and again like I had access to these schools and I like I had the opportunity to travel and to like get outside of you know the traditional Zimbabwean life it's like I'm my life is in no way a reflection of what the average Zimbabwean Mm. experiences Mm. or goes through um which is always kind of had me feeling, you know, not fully Zimbabwean, mm-hmm. um, which like opens up a greater like philosophical question of like what makes you yeah. a part of a community, what makes you part of a culture. It's mm. like where where do we draw the line? If, is it like being able to speak the language? Is it being able to do all the traditional rites and rituals? Yeah. Like what what is it that essentially like makes you a part of any specific culture. Definitely. And um, how how much does where you're born mm. play into that? Play into because that. people are quite hung up on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we talk about it all the time. Like I have this insane guilt that I can't speak Italian properly. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like because of the way that my parents raised us and, and the heritage there that mm. I would happily call myself an Australian first, obviously. Mm. That would be crazy to call myself an Italian, but an Italian <laughs> second. Mm. But there is this huge draw. But I know lots of people say things like that where it's like what defines you Mm-hmm. It's your own choice, obviously, but I think it's so common how many people have this feeling. Like we, when we spoke to Tara about feeling not fully Australian and not fully Balinese mm-hmm. and then almost like how much can you take in on your life 
Yeah. What what allows anyone to feel whole in anything? Is that mm. even a realistic thing? thing? Yeah, and how much uh, do you need to be defined by your cultural background? Or, yeah. Um, well, there's no one sitting at a door with a list of things that you need to tick off to be like, hey, yeah. you're hey, a real Zimbabwean. Yeah, like, exactly. And it's I mean, what you want. Sorry, especially for you who you've lived, you're now living in different, several different countries. It's kind of like, you know, where is that home? Where is that mm. community and belonging? Um, yeah. How did you get involved with the spoken word community in Melbourne? Accidentally. Accidentally. <laughs> Very happy accident, um, very which happy, led yeah. to many prizes. <laughs> yes, a fortuitous accident, I believe. God, I wish my accidents would lead to that. <laughs> they just lead to the emergency department. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I guess I've always been writing, so that was not something new to me. But I didn't, I didn't really know about um, spoken word or performance poetry until maybe at few years ago um like, oh my god shut up are you serious i thought yeah. you were gonna be like oh i've been doing this for years like you know like i've been writing for years which yeah. is like that's the the core well bones <laughs> okay let's yeah. give it some context you won uh, as we heard uh, in the intro all those prizes, <laughs> prizes. last year yeah. <laughs> um when did you start performing spoken word um 2018 end of 2018 and right. when okay th- Fun so question. one year. What was yeah. the when was the first time that you went and saw spoken word? The first time I saw it live was at the first open mic that I performed at, which oh, wow. is at Afro Hub. Like I'd seen people perform on YouTube, mm-hmm. um, and I guess that was my introduction into spoken word. It's like, oh, this is the thing. Like people read poems out loud, mm. um, and I was like, oh, I write poems. Like maybe I could read some poems out loud. Um, and I went to the Afro Hub, um, open mic. How did you find out about that? Um, Facebook, the internet. I, I want to say. <laughs> Sorry, that's a damn question. Say, not in the world, Sonia. How could say, you possibly know? <laughs> um, I think I just Googled like spoken word Go- also in Melbourne. Google. Yeah. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> You'll Google. I don't know if you've heard of it. <laughs> Google. I will use that next time. I need to know a thing. <laughs> So I had just moved to the northern suburbs mm-hmm. and that's where most of the poetry in Melbourne yeah. happens. So we have mostly art in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Googled and I was like, oh, this is just. <laughs> <laughs> and I got up on the open mic, terrified, never read before. Oof. And then they offered me a feature. Whoa. <laughs> and I was like, I've never done a feature. What's a feature? Okay. <laughs> Let, let's like back was. this up. Imagine if Sonia, the first time she ever went and saw stand-up, got up on stage and was like, I write jokes. <laughs> and it went well. That did that, not happen. That is It's amazing. actually the opposite of what happened. Like I said, I've been writing my whole life, so I've been refining that craft and like I did a lot of public speaking and Toastmasters and debate yeah. in high school. So like that informed like my ability to speak in front of a crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's definitely been years of craft of refinement. And I'll definitely say that between that first performance and like my most recent performance has been like exceptional levels of growth yeah, yeah. performance wise definitely 
Um, cause just being exposed to more and yeah, going to America was like blew my whole mind open mm-hmm. <laughs> and I stole a lot of ideas as artists <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah. Creative kleptomania. That's yeah. what it is. You were, it was an homage. Yeah. I was, just, I was like kidding a candy store. I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to mm. do that. And that's, that's what won the Melbourne Spoken Word Prize. I just <laughs> so took like good. 10 of my favorite of performers. Your inspiration from, yeah, and yeah, from blended the them all together into like my own unique thing. Well, that's interesting performing in San Diego mm. at that competition and you were w- representing Melbourne? Yeah. So did they say uh, Melbourne spoken word performer? Like um, with creativity it's often tied into um our background, so you know, oh, yeah. they'll introduce you as a Zimbabwean as a, yeah. poet or a Melbourne-based so, yeah. poet, or that sort of thing. So, yeah, I had to make that distinction. distinction like every yeah. time of like, I'm representing Australia, but I'm from Zimbabwe. Yeah. Um, and I think at the end, I was just like, Ugh, I'm representing Australia. <laughs> like, <laughs> from I'm tired. I live of it. in Melbourne. This is too confusing. People can't take that much information. Yeah. yeah. And hear a poem. It's like, wow. <laughs> it's like, this guy's from two places and doing poetry now is too much for my brain. Yeah. Um, do you feel that way though? Do you feel like you're from two places? Do you feel uh, like you're from Melbourne? I feel like I'm from nowhere. From, no- <laughs> from Mars? Even? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah. I. Uh, that's something that I'm still like working through is like, yeah, of course, where am I really from? Mm. Um, and I feel like for a long time, there was a sense of like obligation to Zimbabwe. Um, and that's, it's that weird kind of parental guilt. It's like my parents have sacrificed so much. They've worked so hard for me to get here. And that's all through Zimbabwe. It's like I, I owe, I owe a debt mm. to Zimbabwe in a sense. Um, and for the longest time, because I guess that's why most people leave to study with the intention of returning. And mm. like, you go get a good education, you bring back that knowledge and use it to develop the country. Yeah. Um, and I always felt that that was, you know, something that I had to do and something that I was like it was my responsibility to do that. It's like, I owe, I owe at least that much to Zimbabwe to like go back and give back what I've learned, mm. give back to the people, give back to the communities. Um, but every time I would go back, I would feel more like a foreigner. Mm. And I think that's because, you know, the Zimbabwe that I grew up in no longer exists. It's just, it's a memory now. Um, the country has evolved and grown and developed, you know, independently of me. Like I've been off Mm. doing my own thing and it's been doing its own thing. It's like the systems and the structures have evolved and it's not that place that, you know, I felt that draw back to. It's like that place no longer exists. And Mm. like, it's, it's a conversation I've had at length with like uh, a lot of my family members who've moved, moved abroad but want to go back. Um, And it's a difficult thing to kind of like reconcile with them because it's like the Zimbabwe that you want to go back to, that place doesn't exist. Mm. It's like that's that's not a place anymore. It's just, it's that memory that you're holding on to. And if you were to go back, the place 
you no longer recognize it as you once did and it no longer recognizes you. That my nonna often talks about, you know, back in Italy, but she hasn't been there for many years, hasn't lived there for over 50 years. And in her mind, the way she speaks, it's kind of like Italy has stayed the same and hasn't progressed, but it's just that the world is progressing or that sort of thing because she's in Australia. Mm. But back in Italy, there's a different way of doing things and, you know. What, like a 50s version of Italy? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Even I think the last time she went back, well, was it 80s maybe? I think Um, it's very understandable to, mm. I mean, to not want to go back. I know like Mm. my nonna went back like once. And then it's just it's I think a lot of people need to just move forward and that's how they view it. Mm. It's either you've got two kinds of people. You've got people who are obsessed with the motherland and don't ever want to, I mean, they've moved on and they've had to for whatever reason, but it's always this like longing for home Mm. that maybe doesn't exist anymore or it's the opposite and people just don't even want to think about it because maybe it's too hard. If you know people or family members that do go back and, live in Zimbabwe Mm. and that's right for them, Um, whether that's right for you or not, I don't know, but it is such an individual thing. Um, Do your your parents hope that you're going to go back? In their heart of hearts, I guess it's in their ideal world. And I feel like with a lot of people who've left Zimbabwe and a lot of people who are there now, um, it's like the ideal world scenario. In an ideal world, yes, we'd go back. We'd yep. all be together. It'd all be like mm. one big family party. Um, but they've also come to terms with the reality that it's not economically viable yeah. for me and my sister to go back. It's like the life that we can have abroad is more sustainable than the life we could have back in Zimbabwe. But at the same time, it's like not... It's not like a a less, a greater or less kind of comparison. Yeah. It's not necessarily that I could have a better life. Yeah. It's that I could have a more economically grounded life. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, what's the is cost that of better? that? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like, yeah, is that yeah. necessarily better? Then... Um, than being with your family and than closer to good you. weather. You know, maybe oh, finding, oh, oh, oh. maybe finding, <laughs> finding that, that culture <laughs> that, you know, maybe finding that um, cultural connection and that sort of, and, yeah. uh, you know, from what I've seen visually of Zimbabwe is stunning. <laughs> I mean, there's beautiful places in Australia too, but, yeah. you know, it's no less Yeah, uh, so gorgeous. I think for, for a long time they... They did want us to come home, mm-hmm. um, but as like the economic situations probably worsened, they were like, actually, you know, it's better if you just don't come back. Right. Um, and I know my sister still wants to go back. Right. She's like, I want, I want to go back. I want to raise my kids in Zimbabwe. Like, I want them to be Zimbabwean through and through. Um, but that's also like in an ideal scenario where. The economic situation is such that you can do that so easily. It, it sounds like it's a quite a dire economic situation there. So does that mean in terms of um, employment, it would be, you know, um, y- you wouldn't have much of a chance there or? Yeah. What, yeah. Um, I guess, yeah, definitely employment 
getting paid if you have a job chances are right you're not getting paid okay. or you're not getting okay. paid enough yeah it's like essentially we don't have an operational currency in zimbabwe um yeah the inflation's crazy yeah um so i don't know what it's like now but i guess end of last year i think they're still using the what they call our bond notes which are essentially a substitution currency that you can only use in zimbabwe it has no value trading internationally um there was a time we were using the us dollar and like other forms of foreign currency um but they've since run out of currency um because like i know with the us dollar specifically the us put sanctions on zimbabwe so we weren't allowed to receive more currency so the only currency being used was the money in circulation and eventually that runs out Run out of currency right i'm just um, trying to get my head around that <laughs> yeah so that's why the kind of the bond notes were introduced is because there was literally no money in yeah. the country to use yeah um but even that still it's like trying to match the value of bond notes to like international currencies it's a whole mess in itself um so yeah zimbabwe <laughs> zimbabwe's economics you could talk about them for weeks and <laughs> yeah. there's just been like a lot of poor decision making so when did your aunt and uncle come here Ooh, like 20 years ago maybe okay right 15 years ago 17 years ago have you know. have they said much to you about when they first arrived or um because they initially came to study yeah right um and they moved they they got married like just after graduating they met while they were both at deacon um and then i think back then it was a lot easier to get permanent residency and citizenship than it is now now it's an absolute nightmare Mm. yeah (laughs) which is what i'm doing which is just a bad idea trying to get permanent residency (laughs) yeah i don't know why i'm (laughs) 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 to some degree i'm actually just doing it because i've been Uh, here yes i will marry you okay (laughs) (laughs) i've just been in australia for so long that like i don't know where else i would go so i'm just gonna like Stick it out. Yeah, you should put I that mean, on your application. I feel I like don't I don't know where I would really go. Well. Hey, I don't know where else I, mean, I would your go. Your sister's here and your aunt and uncle. Yeah, that's yeah. true as well. Mm. Um, but anyway, they, yeah, so they got their permanent residency They have three kids now and they love it here, oh, I think. <laughs> no, actually, they no. don't. My uncle. Does it go in waves? Yeah, my uncle yeah. would. I know my aunt is content to live here, but my uncle definitely. He would, in his ideal world, he would be able to move back to Zimbabwe because mm, mm. he's, yeah, he's literally the person that I've had the conversations at length about yeah, the yeah. Zimbabwe that you grew up with is not the Zimbabwe that yeah. you, and even the Zimbabwe that you visit because you're, you're there on holiday, mm. you know, your wallet is full from Australia. Yep. It's like, it's not how, it's not yeah. reflective of day to day life. It's like. You're there to have a vacation. That is such a tough situation in like, yeah, enjoying, you know, living in Australia and raising your kids here. But, you know, having that longing for home or particular country that you grew up in, but it's just not um, viable for you to be there. Mm. Um, Have you 
written – I know a lot of your spoken word is like quite personal. Um, have you written much about um, Zimbabwe or belonging? Or I've definitely written about belonging. Mm-hmm. Specifically about Zimbabwe, not as – I maybe have two poems. Like I recently wrote one about the Zambezi and Nyami Nyami, who's like a river god. Mm-hmm. And I have another one that I wrote – about Zimbabwe in general. Yeah. Um, but it's more, I write, more, I feel like all my writing is informed by my upbringing. It's informed by like culture, but it's not necessarily directly about yep. Zimbabwe. Yeah. Um, and I, it's difficult because it also, to write about it feels kind of artistically exploitative. Mm hmm. Because especially in like the Australian literary context, it's like what gains traction is like flaunting culture. Mm-hmm. And it's like no offense to anyone who does that and anyone who does that like really well. But it's it also it feels for me like I'd be doing it in order to like further my career rather than to it, authentically explore those yeah, ideas. Yeah, and is that because of the experience you had? Growing up in Zimbabwe, how, how you say you're not necessarily reflective of the typical Zimbabwean? Not or? completely. It's mm. more reflective of the literary industry. I think also right. it's a reflection right. of your instincts. If your yeah. instincts aren't yes. informing you to write about Zimbabwe yeah. as a place or yeah. as a concept or whatever, and then you're thinking, oh, am I being authentic? Well, then that in itself is showing that mm. yeah. your instincts are to write about something else. I think that makes a lot of sense, but I also I have to ask you a very ignorant question. Mm. Bear, bear with me. I'm not. I'm Are not you a cultured black? <laughs> <laughs> a cultured woman. When so you you win awards. Um, yeah. So like say you for the Melbourne Spoken Word Prize. Is that? Don't roll your eyes at me, Sonia. Is that specifically for a one poem, or is that for lo- like a, a collection of works? Um, with the Melbourne Spoken Word Prize, that was for one poem. Okay. Um, with Slammer, it's a competition. So the way Slam is set up is three rounds, um, three minutes each. So it's three poems, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, if you make it to the final round. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's... And what were the, the pieces about for those prizes? Oh, what was my Melbourne Spoken... (laughs) This piece is the one for Melbourne Spoken Word Prize. Um, it's called No Strings. Um, no one's ever asked me what it's about. <laughs> so I've never had to explain this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, let me see if I can remember. Ooh. Um, it's about um, not wanting to be uh, put into a box and labelled. Yeah. Um, so it's about identity. Yeah. Yeah, but, but not cultural identity. Not cultural identity. No. Okay. For me it was more, but it was it was kind of about cultural identity. Um, so you lied. You yeah. do write about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it wasn't, it wasn't at the same time. Um, it was more about performance identity. Um, and, you know, the idea of the performer as a commodity for the audience Mm -hmm. because i enjoy writing like it's something i do to unwind something i do for fun um so when i'm doing that 
that's for me. But, and that was like, I guess recently that was the the problem because I was doing a lot of competitions and I was doing a lot of performance. And that's, that's essentially what led to like the no strings part. It's like all, all the gigs I was doing was like competitions and it's like, there wasn't, I didn't have enough content <laughs> um, that was for me. It's like all I had was the content that was for competition. Mm. Um, and that, I guess, it it started to frustrate me because I was, I was writing for the competition. I didn't want to do that. But at the same time, I, I wouldn't get any other opportunities to perform. It's like, if I'm going to perform, it's going to be in competition. That's um, so interesting. Is that is that just all spoken word? Not, not no, not at all. Um, slam is its own <laughs> world, um, and I I I have mixed feelings about slam. I like it's. I understand the necessity for it, and it brings a lot of people together, and it brings a lot of um, audience members who otherwise wouldn't um, be exposed to spoken mm-hmm. word. Um, but at the same time, just that idea of competitive art mm. t- to me seems a bit absurd. Um, I mean, you do say mixed feelings, but you do have a piece <laughs> called The Death of Slam. So <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty clear cut. Wow. Yeah. How do you feel about but, that? <laughs> and again, that, you see, I wrote that piece because I was frustrated at Slam and I was frustrated yep. that I had to do Slam. Yep. Um, and, and, that's the thing. It's like nobody's forcing me to do slam. It's like if you don't want to slam, don't slam. Yeah, but that <laughs> so, did that piece win you slam? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of annoying. I have a question for you about your parents. How do they feel about this direction, this creative direction, and creative success? You know, unarguably. I mean, the success has definitely helped. <laughs> <laughs> to validate it. Yeah. And to quantify it as something feasible. Because the the yeah. slam, the Grand Slam was the first, that was the first slam I won. Um, like the first big competition that I'd won yeah. and my parents were there. Oh, they wow. Happened, they happened to be visiting yeah. around the same time and that it happened. And it's a large audience too. And it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Big audience to see me win. And that was the first time seeing me perform or actually hearing my poetry Whoa, in their life. That's huge. So... That was a good, <laughs> a good first for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. It's like my parents have never seen me play tennis, but they look, just watch me win Wimbledon. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Yeah. So they definitely are now on board. Um, and then to continue winning things throughout the year, definitely help them see that it's a valuable thing. And I think for them, they, you know, they never grew up in a culture where arts was valued. Um, so ideally they, at the end of the day, they just want me to do something that I can make a living. Yeah. Off. <laughs> Which is art. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Definitely how, poetry. However that looks. <laughs> Spoken word poetry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I can, yeah. I, I know you said that the winning helps and yeah. they do want to say something viable. I mean, you can understand that. I mean, uh, you know, pursuing an artistic <laughs> career is parents 
don't often um, look upon that favourably in a country like Australia where, you know, we are not in the economic situation that Zimbabwe is. So Mm. imagine, you know, them being in that situation and then, oh, and you're going to go into artistic fields. How have you felt that your um, experience of Melbourne has been enhanced by doing spoken word and being part of that community? I'd say that's the closest that I've felt to a sense of belonging because mm-hmm. um, a lot of my closest friends are performance poets or writers in some aspect or form. Um, and I think for me it really stuck when I when I wanted to go to America um, to compete in IWIPs, I crowdfunded and like met my goal and some yeah right um and just to have that level of community support because it was like mostly spoken word people because they're the they're the people that know me like yeah yeah i'm unknown outside of the spoken word world um so just to have that level of community support and people to be like we we believe in you we believe in what you do and we support it and feel like it should be shared with the world um that just like filled my heart so much and I was like wow that's I've never experienced that level of community support mm. before that's beautiful so lovely they're backing you that's amazing yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, let's wrap it up there. Thank you once again for joining us. What a lovely interview. Um, Thank you. Yeah. It's been great learning about you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway. um, (laughs) Thank you for listening. Um, If you are enjoying what you're hearing, if you do like our show, please um, rate and subscribe. Give us a positive review. Tell your friends. Tell your friends about it. Tell your mum. Tell your non-mums. Get everyone on board. Yeah. We would love... um, yeah, to keep growing our listenership. And um, if you are really into it, we do have a Patreon account set up. So if you go to Patreon um, and go to Who the Bloody Hell Are We, look us up on there. You can uh, subscribe, donate um, a small amount to us each month if you can and it just helps us continue to have this show grow and have lots of amazing guests. Okay, that's us for uh, another episode. Goodbye, Mel. Goodbye, Sonia. And thanks to Barney. Thank you to Barney. Thank you both for having me. Bye, listeners. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Who the Bloody Hell Are We? If you like what you're hearing, subscribe, rate and review us on your podcast app of choice. Audio production and original music is by Andre Christodoulou. Search for us on Facebook for more information about our guests fun content and to keep the conversation going.